Successful investing is goal-focused and planning-driven. Failed investing is market outlook-focused. It's reactionary. It's looking at the headlines. It's trying to it's trying to get excited about the trends and things that are happening in the moment. Whereas the long-term success really comes from consistency and discipline and commitment. No matter what's happening, I am saving money into investing every single week. Monday morning, it happens every week consistently. It gives me 52 chances a year to find opportunities and bargains and to just be committed to my plan. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode 177. Clark, how's it going? What's going on in your world? Dude, doing good. Not a whole lot going on in my world. Just same old, really busy time of the year for us, but nothing crazy. What about you? Yeah, man. Same here. It's busy getting ready for spring here. Got spring break, uh, all sorts of things going on here in Texas, but looking forward to, to warmer weather for sure. Definitely after we got spring. out of that ice, uh, ice apocalypse. What does spring mean anymore? Say what? What does spring break mean for us anymore? Dude, I'm taking a little trip. I'm going to go back probably when this off. By the time this episode launches, I will have been back from my trip. I'm going to do a little skiing, a little bobsledding in the mountains. Spring break, you go to the snow? Yeah. I mean, I I try to go skiing (laughs) at least once a year, and we haven't been yet. And I think with COVID, there's a lot of uncertainty and whatnot, you know, going into when we would normally book the trip in November, December. And and I think at this point, we're going to do it and go and booked the bobsledding slot too so excited so we're talking a little bit before the show just how many of these alternative investments have been popping up lately and and people getting you know legitimate returns and being able to you know create some strategies around them and it's, it's got me thinking one you know we've talked obviously a lot about crypto and we've started to see more and more of our millionaires at least have some maybe it's just play exposure, but definitely had some exposure to to crypto, you know, and we've had several others that have recently brought other things to our attention on the show. And one we just came across too is is these uh, NBA highlights. You got any of those, Clark, in your portfolio? (laughs) I don't. I heard about them, I think, a few weeks ago. And candidly, I don't know much about them. Um, What is it? It's like you just buy rights to a little highlight yeah it's like basically you know the olden days at least when i was a kid maybe this is beyond your time since i'm a little older than you but i mean we used to trade sports cards right and and these are pokemon cards that's what i was doing well yeah pokemon sports whatever i mean sports cards were for sports were 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 the thing and i collected quite a big autograph fact i've got a little display in fact maybe i should put value on that stuff i don't even know what it'd be worth but i I think i've got a ken griffey jr one autographed and some of these you know i got some other stuff some sports memorabilia autographed and whatnot but anyway these digital highlights are becoming kind of the new trade of what you and i probably used to do with with trading cards yeah there was just i just got a notification actually ironically right before this that said some guy spent i think 175,000 on them and now it's worth like 20 million dollars yeah, yeah, totally. Like and Top yeah, Shot. Besides, go ahead. Oh, just NBA Top Shot. I mean, it's one of the, I think one of the marketplaces. Uh, but yeah, it's it's crazy seeing the spike in some of these things. 
Yeah, that. I mean, obviously, Bitcoin, gold, silver. You you see stories about like rookie sports cards. I think there was a Kobe and a Michael Jordan card that recently traded for like a couple million dollars. So it seems like every asset class is just going, or at least trading at high amounts right now. Totally. So I mean, begs the question of these alternative assets, whether it's art or stamps or jewelry or guns or gun collections. I mean, clearly they have value. Do they, and, and maybe we need to dig into some of our millionaires more because obviously people are using them as, as you know, collectibles or, you know, I don't know if we can consider it an investment strategy yet. Maybe some of them definitely think it is because some of it, you know, has really risen, you know, in the last several months or years. But do millionaires or do our guests start to utilize some of these or, or invest in some of them as, as a strategy going forward? Yeah, and you mentioned they have exposure, and I still think, I mean, maybe not for everybody. Obviously, we've had some that have a little bit bigger share in it, but I think it's still just to dabble in it. But yeah, I I agree with the question. Is it something that people start digging in more of? I mean, I've been surprised, and I think you have too. We've talked about it a few times that more people aren't invested in small businesses. Yeah. I mean, mostly it's real estate and stock market. Obviously, we've had a few that are uh, small business, but which makes sense. I mean, those are the two biggest asset and most popular and, and honestly the easiest to invest in asset classes. So that makes sense. But yeah, I agree. Interesting to watch going forward if, if some of this stuff starts to carry a little bit weight. So keep your beanie babies. <laughs> Dude, I had a lot of those back in the day. <laughs> My grandma was always buying those for me. I like them. I still think they're cool. Yeah, you got to keep the tag on there, the little tie tag, put oh, a little yeah, plastic thing on it, put them in their the case. Chain. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the little plastic covering. <laughs> yeah, man. See, in one of these days, we probably should just get on here and talk about all these things that, that we grew up with that, yeah, that may have had value at one point, and that would be one of them for sure is the, the Beanie Babies. But anyway, so today's show, we've got Chad. He's a financial advisor, a businessman, and an author. He has a net worth over $10 million. He has a diversified portfolio across market investments, real estate, and business ventures and chad is actually the author of the book stress-free money overcome these seven obstacles to find financial freedom great interview with him today super excited he dropped so many knowledge bombs and and his financial advisory firm is very different than any of ones i've encountered and and chad was so gracious to uh actually give one of those books uh away for one of our listeners so if you're interested in that send us an email and at the the end of the week we'll probably uh make a drawing for for that book last week we had jason he has a current net worth of $625,000 works as a college professor most is divided between market investments and home equity. He's 47 years old. He's got his first big boy job, as he calls it, when he was 33. And he grew up in a middle-class environment. So great inter- interview with Jason last week's episode on episode 176. We appreciate you tuning into the podcast week after week. Continue to con- grow the show and get new listeners. If you're interested in any of our multifamily opportunities or commercial opportunities, just send us an email. Uh, also, if you've got a deal in the pipeline that, that you know of, we'll pay a finder's fee for it. Uh, we're definitely always looking and sourcing uh, new investments. So if you've got those available, uh, reach out to us as well and, and we'll get on a phone call and kind of walk through things. Also, if you're a millionaire and want to share your financial story or one close to being a millionaire, let us know. 
would love to have you on the show. Just want to read a review uh, that we got this last week. Great weekly inspiration as I continue the journey toward financial independence. Almost there. This podcast has gone to the top of my playlist. I feel like a lot of the other five podcasts have become an echo chamber of podcasters interviewing each other. However, Millionaires Unveiled hosts have a variety of interesting people that have built wealth in many different ways, which keeps it fresh. Thank you for the weekly inspiration and insights to keep me on the path. P.S. It's been fun to watch the evolution of this podcast over the last few years. I admire the courage to just get started and continuing to improve each episode. And that was from Dave. Appreciate you, Dave, for for leaving that uh, review for us. So without any further delay, let's get into today's episode with Chad. Chad, do you want to just give our listeners a little bit about your background or what you're up to now? So I uh, grew up in Southern California, Orange County here, and um, I'm now a uh, an entrepreneur, business owner. I'm married with five kids, and my main business is Pacific Capital, where we manage wealth for entrepreneurs and families, goal-focused, high-income families. And I've got a couple other business ventures. My other really exciting one is our a big sports complex here in Southern California. So that's something I'm excited about because you know, I've got five kids and they all play a couple sports. So my journey, uh, you know, I graduated with a degree in economics and started quickly right out the gate at Merrill Lynch in the training program. Spent about nine years there and then left and started my own fiduciary wealth advisory firm, Pacific Capital. So it's kind of how we got here today. Um, I'm an elected official. Today is election day, November 3rd, 2020. So I'm on the front page of the ballot with Trump, Biden, and Kanye West, kind of a funny thing to see um, as I stepped in the voting booth this morning. Well, it's kind of cool, historical. Took a picture yeah, of no, the posterity, cool. you know. That's awesome. Yeah, and I want to yeah. get into that. I think that's fairly unique. I, I don't know, Clark, that we've had an elected official on our show before. And I know, is it you're the treasurer, is that correct, for, for your yes, city? Yes, yes. So I'm, I'm responsible for managing the $360 million investment account for our city and our taxpayers. So we've got about 170,000 residents here. And, you know, I was shocked to learn. I was kind of gotten recruited a few times uh, 10 years ago, but wasn't really interested. And then as I learned more about it, it was like, man, this is an important position that's elected to invest the funds for the city. And no one in history has had any real background professionally in this that's been in that elected position. So really motivated me to get involved and, and see what I could do to help out. So this is my second term now. First, the first election was crazy. There were four of us running. It was an open seat, super competitive. I mean, it got pretty nasty. It was, I was shocked. I thought it was like, Hey, we're just trying to, you know, help the community. And I did a great job the first four years because nobody ran this time. So it was a nice, easy, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have to spend any money or do any debates. I was debating myself. That was pretty wow. much it. But. I want to I want to stay on this topic just for a minute, just because this is fairly new for us to have somebody as an elected official, especially sure. as treasurer. In terms of investing, you know, that the, the three hundred sixty million for the taxpayers of of your area is the way that you approach that different than the way that you approach as as the owner and founder and president of Pacific Capital. Great question. Yes and no. It's the same in one sense, and I think that that's the most important commonality is that at Pacific Capital, I am a trusted fiduciary to our clients. And so I'm always acting legally and and professionally in their best interest. And that's important because that's that's very unique 
as a financial advisor. You know, less than 5% of us are fiduciaries legally. And so in that same sense, I'm acting as a fiduciary for taxpayers. You know, I'm a resident myself, and obviously I want to, I want our money to grow in our area, in our region. So in the same sense uh, that I'm helping act on the best interest of the clients, I'm doing that for the taxpayers. Now, the investment strategy is extremely different. So we are very conservative. You know, our, our three main goals for the city account is safety, liquidity, and yield. So whereas I might invest in private equity or stocks or aggressive growth investments for a client individually at Pacific Capital, I'm not going to do that with the taxpayer funds. I'm going to be very conservative, try to manage cash flow, try to produce an income, but keep safety and liquidity as very high priorities there. What would you say would be the difference in terms of the mix of investments and, and yield you might expect at, at the city versus maybe something that you would put together for a client at Pacific Capital? Yes. Yeah, so these the city's municipal investment codes and laws are governed by the state of California. So I am restricted in the in essentially the investment menu that I can look at. It's pretty crazy, though. I mean, as interest rates have dropped in the last few years, our total return for this extremely conservative and safe account, you know, there were years where we got five to eight percent total return, both yield and principal appreciation, which historically it's been a very, very slow moving account, you know, one percent or so. So we've made some changes there. And then on the Pacific Capital side, it really depends on the client. You know, some clients invest for aggressive growth and others are, are more closer to their 60s and they're entrepreneurs and they're looking to essentially just have as much tax effect for growth. So that really just depends more on the client and their goals and their situation. So it's, it's more personal to the person we're working with. Yeah, so I'm, I'm curious on the city side as well. So you said you're a little bit restricted in the menu of investments yes. you have. Yeah. But now that you've made a few changes, as you alluded to, does it require a lot of upkeep or is it mainly in bond funds that maybe you don't touch as often now? So it's it's all individual bonds, so it's no funds. So we're making changes based on what's happening with the company or with the specific municipal bond that we're, you know, we're looking at the balance sheet and seeing what's happening there. So we've made a lot of changes within the framework and the restrictive menu that we have. And even in doing that, we've increased essentially. So my four year term ends today. Hopefully I get reelected because I'm running against myself. But <laughs> the first four years, you know, we increase the income by over 50% to 80% each year of the four years that I was in office so far. So we've made massive improvements, even just how we manage cash flow. So we're not leaving money sitting idle before we were the cash flow coming into the city from sales tax revenues and property tax revenues and other things like that. A lot of money I just found was not being optimized. And so in the same manner that I would look at a client's personal life and say, how can we really optimize every dollar in your life? That's what I did for the city. And so far, it's had a tremendous impact. And, you know, in a city budget, if you have an extra 20000 you could do something to a park or a, a sports thing for the community. It's a big deal. So when I can earn the city millions and millions and millions of extra income that they didn't have before, it makes a huge impact on the community, which I think is pretty cool. And is it just for the city or is it also for, I assume, for pensions, right? Yeah, so the money definitely, some of the money is earmarked towards paying off debts for previous pensions and future pensions. And so, you know, it's, it's definitely not a, just like a savings account slush fund. It's all, it's all designated. Some of that includes pensions. So definitely the, 
the firefighters and the policemen and, and people like that, they, they definitely are friends of mine. They love me <laughs> because they see what we've been able to do in the last four years. And it just gives them, it just gives them more security having a professional investor at the realm. That definitely helps. Yeah. Pretty amazing that before you mentioned it was never uh, someone that had a background, right? Oh, I asked, I said, so what are the qualifications and like, who am I running against when I finally decided to do it four years ago? And they said, you have to be 18 and a registered voter. And I said, wait, what about the, like the financial background requirements? And they said, nope, can't restrict who wins these elections. So truth be told, it was more of a stepping stone. It was like a placeholder where people would try to win as the treasure and they would go to the parades and wave on the fire trucks and shake hands at all the big events and stuff and get a lot of publicity. But really, they weren't doing much with the investment funds. They didn't know what to do. So they just kind of let it sit there and be less less productive. And so when I got in, I said, all right, we're going to be making a lot of changes here. I want to really maximize what we've got as a community. Do you have full authority there or do you have to get a sign off by somebody? Full authority. Yeah, that was something I made sure was in the in the terms before I ran because I didn't want to answer to someone who didn't know anything. Great. Congrats on the success there. So let's switch to, to the financial advisor side in your sure. company. And I think the question to start, we've had a couple of financial advisors on the show and a lot of the millionaires that we interview, some do use a financial advisor and some don't. So the question I always like to start with just to get a broad perspective is who needs a financial advisor and, and what should they look for? Oh, I can tell you that I believe there are a lot of referrals that we get that we politely decline. We politely decline because either I can tell or someone on my team can tell that they're not ready to actually hire a financial advisor or maybe they're just not a good fit. I mean, I think it's easier to identify who doesn't need one or who isn't a fit than it is to say who does need one. I would say everyone needs a fiduciary financial plan. They need a strategy. They need a blueprint. But definitely not everyone needs to have an ongoing arrangement paying a financial advisor. I don't think that's necessary for a lot of people. Just because the cost and the the complexity may not justify it, it may not be justified to pay for it. So I think most people plan where they can really get essentially a blueprint for success, get some comprehensive advice around all the different areas in your financial life. And then I think a lot of people can self-implement. You know, they don't have to pay someone to upkeep the plan or to invest the money for them. I think if you got over 500000 or over a million dollars saved up, then yes, it does make sense to consult with a, with a fiduciary investment advisor to help organize and maintain and, and take over. But, you know, below that, I just don't, I don't, I often don't think it's necessary. You might be able to just have a nice diversified Vanguard index strategy and you and you just want to basically consult once a year and look make sure someone's looking at it with a fresh set of eyes and and that may be enough so you would do that too you just meet with clients not necessarily charge them on a fee to manage the money but just as yes yeah. yeah i created something called the financial life inspection and we trademarked it you know i actually got interviewed for the wall street journal a few years ago because of it and it was it's a pretty cool process where we go through every area of someone's financial life and dig way deeper than most financial guys would look at, including looking at their home insurance, their car insurance, their, you know, really digging into the debt details of their financial life to see where we can save them money, where we can improve what they're doing. You know, areas that financial advisors normally don't look into because there's no money to be made. So we'll do a flat cost financial life inspection and give a lot of guidance and really help someone set up their financial life 
And I would say a lot of those people, once they do that, they'll come back to us maybe once a year for a little brief consultation. But I'll tell them like, you don't, they want us to manage their investments. And I'll say, you don't need us to do that. Like we can help set it up as part of this financial life inspection process. And then you can kind of be on cruise control and we're going to help you set up all your automatic savings and really get everything optimized. But if, if you don't have tons of money to manage, you don't really need to have that full-time cost and consultation. Yeah, that's neat and, and unique, right? Something I haven't heard of. So I think that's a unique opportunity or somewhere to head on and, and something that people could benefit from because even the people that do know, in a sense, right, what they want to do or where they want to invest or if they want to be just Vanguard index funds, I think it would give everybody some surety to know they're on the right path just to have another set of eyes. Yeah, you need you need that confirmation. We have a couple coming in today from Newport Beach and you know, I looked over his initial plans and everything that he's got set up. And we're going to have what's called the goals conversation with him and his wife. So they're going to sit on our couch. We're going to ask a lot of questions, dig deep into what they're aiming for with their family. He's in his early 40s. They do have, I'd say, I think it's 800000 to 950000 saved up in their various accounts. But based on everything that I that he's aiming for and she's looking at in their financial life, I don't think they need to hire us as a full-time investment advisor. So I'm going to, I'm planning on just having a really great goals conversation and discovering what they want and, and then suggesting they continue with the financial life inspection process. And we give them all the blueprint and all the, basically the recipes for success. We handhold them to implement, even though I think he wants us to manage his investments, I think he'll also be relieved for, you know, to hear us say that I don't think you need to pay us to continue managing these. I think we can help you set it up and, and just do like a maintenance check once a year. So if he, let's just take this couple, for example, a million bucks or 900, whatever it is, he comes to you and says, Hey, Chad, you know, manage this money. I don't exactly know what I want to do with it. My risk tolerance is medium to high, right? Cause I'm in mm-hmm. my, my young forties. How should I invest it? And what do you advise him? And I, I guess along with that, I'm asking, or do you handle just market investments? Do you also handle, you mentioned private equity earlier or real estate? How would that conversation work? So he would have, they definitely will have the option to, you know, the things I look at is when I'm, when I'm thinking about this, should someone just be investing on their own? It's do they have the capability, the know-how, and do they have the time and the desire? You need all three, essentially. So he's an extremely sharp CFO. He's, he really knows what he's doing when it comes to investing. So he, he's one of the few people who I says, you know what? He probably does have the capability. Uh, right now, he he has had the time. I don't know if he has the desire. You know, it may get to the point where he says, I, I don't want to worry about this stuff anymore, and I'd love to delegate it to a team that I trust. And at that point, he may say, I really want you guys to step in, and, and he'll hire Pacific Capital as his fiduciary advisor. When it comes to managing, we only manage, I mean, we, we can manage some private equity type investments that, that can be essentially record the records can be kept at Schwab because that's our custodian that we use. But most of our most of our investments are inexpensive, diversified ETFs. You know, we're we're not managing real estate per se for clients. However, all of our clients are diversified investors, so they have real estate investments, they have businesses, they have a lot of other things besides what we're actively managing. Advisor that basically takes a look at everything for them. We help keep their records on all their financial investments, and we're looking at the big picture for them. So we're going to look at their cash flow situation from all different sources. We're not just worried about just the, man- the investments that we're managing. 
we're going to look at them as an entire, at their entire financial life as a family and give them advice that coordinates all those different pieces together. Chaz, I'm listening to you talk about your approach and your firm. It's very atypical from at least the ones I've been around or the, the ones that we've definitely had on our show. And on that note, maybe just for our listeners, will you kind of give them an, an idea what it means? You mentioned if less than 5% are, are, are true fiduciaries. Give our listeners an idea of what that means and, and how to find that and maybe a potential financial advisor. So that's a great question because when people ask me on podcast interviews, like, what is one thing people don't know about your industry? I always tell them it's people assume that everyone has their best interest when they're giving you financial advice. And unfortunately, that's just not true. Imagine going to your doctor and your doctor has incentives and they're going to get paid quadruple if they give you one medication over another medication. And they're, they're going to get paid quadruple. Like, and that's literally the case in many financial and insurance recommendations of people out there that they're looking at two options off the shelf and one of them pays quadruple. I mean, that's, that's a scary thought as an investor, as a consumer to think that there's so many conflicts of interest and that, that advice can be that tainted. So a fiduciary is legally bound and obligated to put clients' interests first, regardless of the consequences even if it decreases the compensation to the advisor. And less than 5%, 6% of the 600,000 financial advisors in the U.S. are actual fiduciaries. And I, I can speak very well to this because I was on both sides. I worked at Merrill Lynch for nine years. And just by nature of the beast, when you're at one of the big firms or the banks or the big insurance companies, you are not a fiduciary. That's just the setup. That's just the way it is. Doesn't mean you're not, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means... You've got quotas, you've got conflicts of interest, you're selling stuff from your own company. So when looking for an advisor, when looking for financial advice, you've got to find a fiduciary. And there are plenty of great fiduciaries out there. They're, they're going to be, it's, it's a different experience when you meet with a fiduciary versus an investment guy from a, or investment lady from a big bank, big insurance company. You know, the, the, the whole approach is different. And I would say if your listeners are business owners, you should find a fiduciary who's also a business owner. You know, I'm not, I have five kids. I'm not going to go take parenting advice from someone with no kids. I'm not going to the gym to get, uh, to hire a trainer who's super out of shape and unhealthy. So why do you take as an entrepreneur or someone trying to be wealthy? Why do you take financial advice from someone who is not wealthy and who's not a business owner? To me, it just makes no sense. Yeah, totally. And, and on that note, how do you know where somebody's a fiduciary? I mean, obviously you can make a claim, but is there a designation? Is there an easy way for somebody to figure that out? Yes. So I, the key designation I look for, if I were you, is certified financial fiduciary. That's, that's a great designation that's easy to look for. Another thing, another easy tip is if the advisor works for the company that also holds your money or if the advisor also works for the insurance company that issues the insurance policy, they are not a fiduciary. If they have a broker dealer associated with them at all, they are not a fiduciary. So I just basically named 95% of the people you've had on your show or you've talked with because they've got some kind of broker dealer affiliation. They're, they're making commissions off of trades. They've got sales quotas. They got management breathing down their neck for different profit goals of the company you know as a fiduciary it's just different it's just different so i think if you if you're an entrepreneur and you're goal focused and, and you really want to 
go big. You need to find an entrepreneur fiduciary who has, who, who basically matches what you're looking for. It doesn't make any sense to go to a big investment bank or a big investment house and have an employee of that place be giving you advice as an entrepreneur investor because they're, they're really, hopefully they're just teaching from books, you know, not from experience. Yeah, totally. I think it's interesting you, you bring that up. You know, I think what Clark, we've almost done 200 interviews with millionaires, you know, that divulge their net worth and get in their portfolios. One of the questions that, that we ask them is, have they used a financial advisor? Or are they? And a lot of them say no, or they did at one point. I think part of it is because the industry, you know, sometimes gets a bad rap with, with the non-fiduciaries out there that are taking the, the, the commissions and, you know, that don't have their best interest at, at heart. So, you know, totally gets you, a bad rap. Yeah, totally I'm glad you... Yeah, I mean, it's less trusted than, you know, auto mechanics. No offense to auto <laughs> mechanics, but I'm yeah. just saying, like, there's a reason for that because the, I also think if you find a fiduciary who's a business owner who has significant wealth on their own, they don't feel the need to pressure you to do anything. And that's important. If you, you know, no one should be winning at your expense. Mm-hmm. So there should be no agenda of what they're trying to sell. They should not be pushing or pressuring. They should be listening and questioning and they should be able to back it up. They should be able to show you that they've got great significant. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So I, Chad, I want to ask you just because you know, we've gotten into this a little bit and you've made made some comments about it. You're an entrepreneur. You've got a business. So obviously, you've got some of your wealth in the business. You've also invested it or uh, co-owner of the Draft Sports Complex. How do you go about personally looking at your investments? Do you allocate a certain percentage to real estate or to business or to money that's invested in equities? How do you think about your own personal investments? Uh, my own personal investments. So I'll just... I don't know how many listeners you have, but I don't divulge this too much, but I'll just say my net worth is between 10 and 20 million. I've got significant rental real estate and I've got uh, market investments that I save into weekly, something we recommend to our clients to set up an automatic weekly deposit. And then obviously I've got great equity in the businesses that I've got. So I believe that some of the principles are timeless when it comes to successful investing. First of all, Successful investing is goal-focused and planning-driven. Failed investing is market outlook-focused. It's reactionary. It's looking at the headlines. It's trying to it's trying to get excited about the trends and things that are happening in the moment. Whereas the long-term success really comes from consistency and discipline and commitment. So in my own personal life, I save and invest weekly. And when opportunities come up in, in real estate or other businesses, I strongly consider them and I'll look at cash flow and growth opportunities and see if it makes sense to allocate some money there. But no matter what's happening, I am saving money into investing every single week. Monday morning, it happens every week consistently. It gives me 52 chances a year to find opportunities and bargains and to just be committed to my plan. So I'm definitely eating my own cooking. Uh, where I'm investing in many of the same areas that I advise clients to invest. And I think that's also important. Find a, a fiduciary who eats his own cooking. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember we just had somebody on the show that said they met with a financial advisor. They gave him all this advice. It wasn't going very well after a couple of years. And he said, well, show me how you invest, right? Like, tell me how you personally invest your money. And the financial advisor said, no, like, you know, I'm not going to do that or whatever. And that's when he <laughs> Look, if you're going to invest it a different way than you invest yours, like how can I have this relationship of trust, right? You know that you're taking care of me. So your personal real estate, just curious, is that single family, multifamily? It's both. Yeah, single family, multifamily. I don't have any commercial um, other than through 
some ETF investments and, and maybe one, one small private investment, but everything else is single family duplexes and fourplexes. All close to you or spread all over? No, different places, different places. Do you remember how old you were when you first became a millionaire? Um, sheesh. I mean, it's, it, I define it differently versus liquid versus non-liquid, but if you just want to say an overall millionaire, mm, I don't know. It's a good question. <laughs> Let me it just was, ask. It was you. over 10 years ago, I can tell you that. Okay. The cash, I'm curious on the cash sitting idle piece. You mentioned that for the city, mm-hmm. right? If you want to make the most of it. How do you think about that in, for an individual or a couple or a family? How much? Should... It's a huge issue. Huge right. issue. I see people come in and they have money sitting in the bank because they don't want to miss out on an opportunity. So I call that dusty money. It's, it's just gathering dust. And I want, personally, I want all my money working for me. Okay. I'm not going to hire people, bring in into my office and sit them on the couch and just say, okay, just uh, sit there on the couch and maybe something will come up in the next six months and I'll let you know. Otherwise, just sit there on the couch and twiddle your thumbs. That's what people do with their bank accounts is they just have a huge slug of money sitting there earning 0.01% right now doing nothing because, hey, well, I don't want to miss out. I want to have a lot of money available in case. So what we do is we we encourage clients to get all of their money working except for three to six months of living expenses. Let's say sixty thousand to maybe one hundred twenty thousand. Although that's a that's a lot, and that's depending on your cash flow. But have that much set aside for emergencies. Everything else should be invested. Should be earning something. Our clients often use their investment portfolios. They use the margin feature to borrow money against their portfolios, invest in real estate and other things like that. Of course, my disclaimer is using margin increases risk, but clients clients are able to access liquidity while keeping their money invested at all times. That just allows them to have their money be more productive, take advantage of compound growth, and just be more, essentially more proactive rather than just sitting on the sidelines. Yeah, I mean, it's hard, though, because you look at 2008-9 and you're like, okay, the people that had money really made it happen. It's true. It's true. But if you had a portfolio, um, even though the, I mean, client portfolios were down 15%, stock market's down 35 uh, you still have a lot of liquidity. And you, you always have investments that are not high risk. So there should be some investments that are just producing a simple cash flow and that Really, in, in case of big emergencies and you blew through your, your funds, you could liquidate those and do something else. Take advantage of opportunities. I mean, that's when I started getting into real estate was 2009, end, end of 2009, just being opportunistic. So I, I think you can always be nimble enough and all of your investments, you could have a, your main portion of investments is tip, are typically going to be very liquid and accessible. And even if it's borrowing against them or just selling the investments and using them, you've got to have something ready for when that recession comes and you can really be a smart investor and get some bargains. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.